There's an incredible character in the Chronicles of Narnia. By the way, who here has ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Awesome. One of my favorites, by the way. I read it when I was younger, read it again when I was older, and I, I read it pretty consistently. It's a very good series. Um, I'll be honest with you, that's one of my, what's the word for it? One of my secret, probably not so secret anymore, I'm a nerd. It's pretty open, it's out there. I love the Chronicles of Narnia, I love Lord of the Rings, I love Star Wars, I love Marvel superheroes. I'm just gonna embrace it, I'm a nerd. But there's an incredible character in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. He's found in Prince Caspian, and this character is awesome. In describing this character, C.S. Lewis writes of him, he's the chief mouse. He's a self-appointed humble servant to Prince Caspian, and perhaps the most valiant knight in all of Narnia. His chivalry is unsurpassed, as also is his courage and skill with the sword. Who is it? That's right. Reed Pacheek. I was hoping they were talking about Lawrence. That just sounds a lot cooler. I mean, could you imagine if that was my, your description? I would love that. If, like, if at the end of my life, I was like the chief of knights and valiant with courage and skill and sword, I'd, I'd be the happiest person if they were talking about me. But they're talking about Reaper Cheap. Everybody say Reaper Cheap. Reaper Cheap is a chivalrous, courageous, because more than anything, and more than his own life, he loves Aslan and Aslan's prince. He, one day while he was valiantly fighting for Prince Caspian, Reaper Cheap is almost killed and would have died if it wasn't for Lucy healing him. Practically raised from the dead, he jumps up to his feet and bows before Aslan, only to realize that his tail was lost in battle. Reaper Cheap pleads with Aslan to restore his tail. And as Aslan is discussing with Reaper Cheap whether he thinks too highly of his own honor, symbolized by the tail, Aslan sees what the Reaper Cheap's fellow mice are doing. Why have your followers all drawn their swords, may I ask? said Aslan. May it please your high majesty, said the second mouse, whose name was Peepacheek. We're all waiting to cut off our own tails if our chief must go without his. We will not bear the shame of wearing an honor which is denied to the high mouse. Ah, roared Aslan, you have conquered me. You have great hearts. Not for the sake of your dignity, Reepicheep, but for the love that is between you and your people. You shall have your tail again. Reepicheep's comrades loved him so much because he was more valiant and because his great aim in life was to serve the high cause of the king. He was willing and able to face any opposition because of this love for the king. Here's the deal. Why do I share that story with you? Other than that's pretty awesome. We talk often here at Waypoint Church about the mission of God, how every one of us is a missionary. And I believe that with all my heart. We're all called on this incredible mission together by an amazing king. But if we're to live for something like that, if we're to live for something more than our trivial agendas, we must be convinced of the truth, goodness, and beauty of God on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're to sacrifice personal luxuries and advantages in the world to live for the gospel, we need to see and embrace the beauty of Christ every day for ourselves. Reepy Cheap saw the beauty of Aslan, believed in him with everything he had, so was willing to live and die for his king. My message this morning is out of the book of Nehemiah. And out of the book of Nehemiah, we're going to see how kingdom advancing work, no matter what you do, if you're doing work to advance the kingdom, we will face opposition. 
It's going to happen. And the way to combat opposition is to be convinced of the truth, goodness, and beauty of God on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The way that you face opposition is to be convinced of the truth, goodness, and beauty of God on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, we studied, started in the book of Nehemiah, and we saw that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Being a cupbearer was a high level, high position, and for somebody who was a conquered people, to have that position said, spoke volumes of the character of Nehemiah. He was a man of high character, we saw. He prayed. He cared deeply for the kingdom of God and was passionately in Scripture. These, we saw, were the marks of, of a reformer, of a hero, of somebody who is entering into the mission of God. And the hand of God was on Nehemiah and moved King Artaxerxes to allow Nehemiah to go and rebuild the wall. In Nehemiah chapter 3, the people respond to Nehemiah's call to action. They collect materials and they start to work. We see some awesome names for gates. If you look at chapter 3 of Nehemiah, we see stuff like the Sheep Gate and the fish gate, and the old gate, and my personal favorite, the dung gate. I don't know if you guys know this, by the way, that our uh, elementary school kids are with us today rather than being with, uh, in the children's area today, so I might throw a few of my things in here intentionally for them. So yes, there is an actual gate called the dung gate, which that's not the gate that I would ever want to use. Then we heard today James read to us Nehemiah chapter 4. and the passage that was read, we see opposition that Nehemiah and the Jews are facing. And the first thing I want you to notice about this opposition that Nehemiah faces is that it starts with words. A whispering campaign. Psychological warfare. Send ballot, which by the way, if you're ever writing a book and you need a villain's name, great one. Right? Or if you're like a, like a cartoon character or a video game character, Sand Ballot sounds really awesome. So if you ever want that, just do not make a note for yourself to say, I have a villain name now. So, Sand Ballot, who is the governor of Samaria to the north of Jerusalem. So he's the governor of the region north of Jerusalem. Knowing that Nehemiah has come with letters of commendation and permission from King Artaxerxes, the, the king who is in charge of the whole area, he knows that he's, uh, he's underneath King Artaxerxes. He can't be overt in his attacks. So what does he do? He needs to be careful in what he's saying and doing. So he begins to speak to his men and to his army in Samaria. And he only kind of starts to conjecture and put a little fear into the Jews. Threats that were honestly like out there but not overtly against what King Artaxerxes said. And so one wonders, if you look at this, how somehow Nehemiah knew what Sembalat was saying to his men. Perhaps you might imagine that Sembalat's own device, there were men who were being sent into the city to spread these words, spread these rumors, to, to maybe, maybe some of Sembalat's men were going amongst the Jews and saying, look at you, what are you guys doing? Look at the words that they're saying. What are these feeble Jews doing? What, 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 a, what a lot, what a sorry lot these are. They're not soldiers, they're not even wall builders. They're just old men and women and little children. What, are they going to restore for themselves? The task you see is utterly beyond them. Are they going to sacrifice? Do you think they can offer a few sacrifices and one day the temple will magically arise? Who do you think you are? 
What are you going to make out of this rubbish? These are people with this psychological warfare of words and whispering. The opposition started with whispering and words saying, who do you think you are? What do you think you have to offer? What are you going to do with this task that's so big before you? How could you possibly hope to succeed where other people have failed before you? They're mocking them, talking about rubbish, stones that have been blackened by fire. And I love this a little bit. The guy named Tobiah adds that a little fox, a fox maybe the size of a little puppy or a dog, will go up on top of these walls and bring it tumbling down. And this is just pure mockery. It's looking at what the work of all these people are doing, putting their passion and soul into it, saying, who do you think you are? Even if you built it, a little weight, a little breeze is going to knock that whole thing over. You see what's going on? It's a whispering campaign. It's psychological warfare. And it gets to them, and they hear it. And maybe they're putting a brave face. Okay, okay, I can do this. And I know those are mean statements, and it really hurts my heart, but okay, I'll keep on working. But can you imagine that the sun's going down after they've worked really hard all day, and the task seems so big, they start remembering those whispers that were said. Why, why am I building this? Why are, we, why are we working so hard? Even if we worked hard, what are we accomplishing? Yeah, a fox could just tear the whole thing down. It's beyond me. Whispering campaigns and psychological warfare has always been a part of the attack of the devil. And it still is to this day. Isn't that the way for so many of us that we see the devil attacking you? We see opposition you facing now. The whispering ones of the evil one. Who do you think you are that you can do anything for God? Really, you? You're going you're gonna to reach the nations? You're going to be a missionary? Do people know what you do when you're home by yourself? Do they know what you've done? What do you have to offer? What, what skill do you have? What makes you think anybody wants to hear what you have to say? The whispering attacks is the way Satan comes and starts speaking lies into our hearts. Making us believe that we're not good enough. Or it could be the other way. Wait, what if he starts pissing hey, you're too good for that. Why waste your time with other people? The psychological warfare is the way Satan initiates opposition to any work that God's doing and that he calls, God calls you to do. Let me tell you that everyone who's doing the work of God will hear this opposition. Because our real enemy is Satan, and Satan does not want you to advance and build the kingdom of God. He is the father of lies and will attempt to lie to you. So what do you do? Let's see how Nehemiah counters this. If you look at verse 3, it says, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Verse 4, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height that for people had a mind to work. In the middle of opposition, when they're completely being mocked, almost out of nowhere, no transition, Nehemiah goes straight into a prayer. It's like he's getting bullied by Tobiah. And it just leads him straight to say, okay, I'm getting bullied here, I'm getting made fun of, but hear, O God, for we are despised. Nehemiah is calling on God to conquer his enemy. He's calling on God to enact justice. Nehemiah responds to the mockers. 
but he does not respond to their mocking. Rather than speaking with them, he speaks to God, and the people keep on working. Guys, what's the number one way that Nehemiah responded to opposition? Is in the midst of opposition, he turned to God in prayer. Guys, can I tell you that the first instinct that we often have is in the middle of opposition, in the middle of bullying, in the middle of people slandering you, mocking you, and hating you. Our first gut reaction, mine is always, is who do I fight? How do I fight back? That's what I want to do. Who slandered me? Oh, let me tell you what that person did. Oh, you going to make fun of me? Well, let me tell you, look at you. That's our initial gut reaction, but that's not what Nehemiah is showing us here. He's saying, you're being slandered, you're being mocked for doing the work of God, Turn to God first. Go to him in prayer. Because our motivation is not the praise of man. Our motivation is the beauty of God expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we look at God and when we turn to him, then we realize some amazing truths again. Is that yes, we're not worthy. And yes, maybe some of the things that are said about us are true. But they're only half truths because the full truth is that yes, I'm a sinner, yes, I'm not worthy, but Christ makes us worthy. Amen. Do you hear that? Guys, we need to be reminded of that all the time. I'm a people pleaser. I know this. And when people are upset with me, when people slander me, when people speak negative of me, it breaks and hurts my heart. And my action, my reaction is always to be like, okay, I want to fight back. Then it's to be like depressed. Like, I want to fight, then I'm like, I'm so sad. But when I turn to the gospel, and when I look at God, what I'm reminded of is that those people who are sending me, I'm just as much a sinner as they are. And to be reminded that by grace alone, that I don't have to worry about what they have to say to me. I don't have to worry about them. I just get to rest in the fact that I'm a beloved child called to an incredible mission. This happens because the beauty of God and the work he has called you to do is more than worth it. We can face scoffers and we can face mockers because when we turn to God in prayer, we're reminded of the reality of our situation. The father of lives will spit lie after lie, half-truth after half-truth. But when we turn to God, we're reminded of the gospel. And how that states who you are. That you're forgiven by grace alone. You're accepted, not because of anything you did or anything you earned, but because of the love of Jesus Christ. He died in your place. And you can know him and be known as a child of God forever. Verse 7, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And I love this, this, this kind of listing of nations is almost as though Nehemiah is presenting the nations against God and his people. Psalm 2.1 speaks of the nations raging and plotting and how it's a vain thing. Because to the one who sits enthroned, it's like nothing. It's noise. Then it says these people are now angrier than ever and now plot to come against the Jews with violence. I wish I could say to you guys that the opposition that you'll face in your life will only be verbal and will only be whispers. But that isn't true. You see that there's opposition sometimes that comes in the form of violence or possible harm to your body. We see that true today. We see examples of hostility and oppression. We see attacks upon the body. We see sicknesses and illnesses. How did Nehemiah approach this next opposition? 
verses 13 and 14. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. They will not protect themselves by fleeing or fretting from opposition. And if they did act, the plots of the enemy will come to fruition. Nehemiah neither frets nor flees, but he takes action. He identifies the most vulnerable locations in the work and strategically locates people near those, grouping defenders with those whom they are emotionally connected. They are armed and ready to fight on each other's behalf. People, when opposition comes and it gets more aggressive than whispers, when opposition comes, even if there are just whispers, take action. Identify the vulnerable points and get this, get your brother and sister to defend you. Hear me very well when I say this, and this is something that I can just say. When opposition comes to me and I feel slandered and I feel attacked, can I just tell you this? What puts me so at ease is that I can go back to working on the wall because I know that my brothers and my sisters have a sword at my back. Do you hear that? Guys, God has never once has intended Christianity to be an individualistic religion. It's meant to be done in community. Hear me when I say that. Now, I understand, yes, it's a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with God. That is a very true statement. But that's kind of become a new Western idea. The reality is, yes, it's a personal relationship with God, but God's called you to live it in community, not just by yourself. Because here's what happens in community. When opposition comes, when Satan attacks, when there's areas in your life that's vulnerable to attacks of Satan, what you do is you go to your brother, you go to your sister in community and say, I'm struggling with this. Will you go on the attack for me? Will you, where these areas of lies are coming at me, and I'm believing them, and I'm having a hard time putting them away, will you speak truth to me? And while I'm working on this wall, can I know that you have my back? And so as I'm shoveling, as I'm putting bricks on the wall, do I know that you have the, the bow and the sword to protect? Can I tell you, one of the greatest blessings of my life right now. And in the midst of whatever attacks may come my way, I know that I have brothers and sisters like you. That allows us to continue the work of God in advancing the kingdom. I know that you guys have my back. So thank you. Thank you so much. That means more than you could ever imagine. Don't sit back and let opposition win by your inability to move. Take action. Defend your brother and sister. Get them to fight with you. Pick up your level and your bow. Pick up your shovel and your sword. Pick up whatever means of kingdom advancement God called you to do and trust that, his, that you're covered in the front and the back by your brothers and sisters in community. Do you hear that? Because here's what happens in community. When the lies of Satan comes and they start telling you you're not worthy, you're not good enough, what could you possibly have to offer? Oh, then this, your brother comes in with the sword of truth and says, oh, that's not what the Bible says. That he uses fishermen and tax collectors and sinners galore. That Jesus paid the price. And you can say how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us and we should be called the children of God. 
When the lies of the, and the opposition and the attacks of the evil one come, then comes your brother and sister with the shield and the breastplate. You might not be feeling like you're wearing all the armor because you're working, you're working so hard, even though you have the armor on, but they can come out there and they go, I got the armor, I got the sword, I got the shield, I'm ready to go for you. Where are you vulnerable? Who do you have? Are you willing, not only who do you have, then are you willing also to be that person for your neighbor, for your, for your fellow man, for your community? Guys, can I tell you, there are people in this room right now who are struggling under attacks of lies and of opposition, struggling under attacks of overwhelming schedules and sicknesses, struggling under attacks of everything that can take away from them going to do the work of God, and they need you to step up and say, I got you. They need you to step up and say, okay, you keep on doing this work. I know it's hard. I know, guys, the one who, if you're in the jungle and you have the guy with the machete, he's clearing the way through all the vines. That's hard work. Your arm gets tired and you cut through all those vines. And there's people out there behind you that say, okay, keep on cutting those vines. We need you to do that. But let me help you out. I got your back. Let me hold up your arm. Let me carry your pack. We do this in community together. We defend each other. We love each other. We support each other in community because we're one body. Are you reaching out to your brother and sister saying, I support you? Are you, wait, get this, are you letting yourself be vulnerable and known enough that people can help you out? That's tough, isn't it? Isn't that tough? That's a tough place because most of us are like, oh, Sunday morning, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm, everything's great, brother. <laughs> That's kind of like our thing. You know, like Sunday morning, you look good and you put on your nice clothes and everything's going wonderful all the time. Are you vulnerable enough? Are you open enough to say, no, you know what? I need you to pray for me. I need you with me. Are you in small groups? Are you connecting to the point where somebody can look into your life? Even if you don't admit it, they'd be like, no, no, something's up. And I'm here for you. It takes risk. It's not easy but it's worth it. Because when you see that your motivation to do this kingdom hard work of being vulnerable, of being open, the motivation of working hard to see the kingdom advance is this incredible beauty of God on display through the gospel of Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth it. And so you can be like Repachik. At the very end, he's on the boat sailing to this other land and they ask him, how far are you going to sail? And he says, I don't care if the boat goes down. I'm still going. I don't care if the boat goes down. I'm in the rowboat. I don't care if the rowboat goes down. I'm on a piece of wood. I don't care if the piece of wood goes down. I'm swimming. I'm going all the way. Reaper Chief was willing to go all the way to advance the kingdom, to go after it because he loved the king. Because when he saw, when he looked, he saw the beauty of God, this majesty, this awe-inspiring glory on display, felt and realized for himself personally through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? This is how you face opposition, like Nehemiah. You see the beauty of the gospel. Nehemiah only saw in part, he saw the beauty of the kingdom of God, but he only saw in part, and he's a precursor to Christ who came and fulfilled it in full. We get to see the fullness. We get to see the coming kingdom now and advancing kingdom, be a part of the advancing kingdom now. Until the kingdom comes fully on earth as it is heaven, may we see the beauty of God on display in the gospel and be moved to live for it.
facing all opposition together in community. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are amazed at your beauty. God, the work that you did, that salvation you promised, the salvation you delivered through the work of Jesus. God, that we see your beauty, we see your grace, we see your mercy. God, we see forgiveness. God, we see it all through Jesus Christ. So we thank you. We thank you for the work of Jesus. God, may we be so moved by that beauty that we live intentionally. God, that we willingly face opposition. We live in community to see your kingdom advance. And so that others may see the beauty of Christ. That others may see your beauty and glory and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.